Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! Hey everybody, welcome back to the Westside Personalized Podcast. And uh, just wanted to take a brief moment before this week's episode to just kind of check back in with the audience and... Uh, Say that really over this past summer, uh, I kind of got away from things a little bit unplugged and got a chance to really just spend some great time uh, with the family and also getting a chance to go to a few conferences and learn a few things. And so uh, as of right now, I am back and better than ever and feeling refreshed from that time away and just want to let listeners know that we will start to get back in the regular rhythm of having one podcast a week uh, posted here to the Westside Personalized Podcast. And so make sure that you start to, to tune back in, look for that, check that out. Uh, and you can also access our podcast and some also, and handouts and other information on the westsidepersonalized.com website. So be sure to look into that. Uh, this week, got a really special episode for you that we recorded in May. Uh, many of you that have listened to the podcast before know that we had the Westside Personalized Summit, uh, which was a conference that we held here around personalized learning that showcased a lot of the work that we've done in district and also some of the great relationships we've had a chance to form with uh, authors and educators across the country uh, who we brought in to make part of that special event. The conference went extremely well. We had over 300 educators there in total. Uh, everybody left with a really good vibe. And I think uh, a lot of like, good ideas were shared and, and learned and hopefully all that stuff's getting put into practice now as we start off the new 2019-2020 school year. But uh, So yeah, today's podcast actually is uh, a panel discussion from that conference. And, and so yeah, I had a chance to sit in on a panel with Holly Compton, an educator from Manhattan Beach, California, who works with uh, primarily with number talks and does some personalized things as it pertains to math within her district K-6. Also on the panel is Kate Somerville, uh, who is with the Institute for Personalized Learning out of Wisconsin. Uh, she is in a role where she gets to travel regionally and really all across the country, working with teachers on brainstorming personalized practices in the classroom. And so she uh, uh, is a great voice on there as well. You also hear from Andalee Espinosa, who is a special education teacher who works alongside Mike Muhammad, uh, who is also on the podcast. Uh, Andy and Mike co-teach together and so you'll get that kind of classroom perspective. Uh, they are very steeped in Pear Deck and at the time that I'm recording this intro, uh, Mike Muhammad has put together some great resources on the new and improved Flipgrid, which honestly I think is one of the best tech tools to come out for education in uh, as long as I can remember, quite honestly. So if you haven't checked out the new Flipgrid, you should definitely look into that. You should also look into Mike's resources for it. So um, all that being said, uh, welcome back to the podcast. We're ready for the 2019-2020 school year, and what a way to kick it off with this amazing conversation. So I hope you enjoy it. All right, well, uh, a little, a few minutes late, but that's all right. We're going to kickstart our last session of the day today, and uh, I get a chance to play moderator here on this uh, expert panel, which I'm really excited to um, get into a conversation. I hope um, this will almost feel a little bit like a podcast. We're going to record it, too, and, and see how this next, you know, hour-ish goes, uh, but we'd love to just give this uh, opportunity over to the entire conference, really, for you to either ask questions in here, or you can go and talk to the authors that are in the... Uh, courtyard, or you can even go and do some kind of brainstorming design time in the math IMC, which is on the, the third floor. You can kind of head out there towards the main area and go up the stairs. Uh, but really just an opportunity to, to just 
sit down and chat. All you people, just good, good friends, honestly, that I've uh, had a chance to just have a lot of rich conversations around about this work with. And so, um, hopefully, it's just like a bunch of us just talking shop, like how they tend to. And so, we'll do introductions first, and then from there, if you'd like to raise your hand, we'll field the questions that way. Um, Brittany's helping out too, and she's going to be on Twitter, like pulling questions, and we'll try to get those as, as we can get to that also. Um, so, what questions do we have before we kind of get into the introduction? All right, then we're going to start things off. Holly, you want to go ahead and. Sure. Hi, I'm Holly Compton. I'm. Um a math coach, a TK, which is transitional kindergarten, um, all the way to sixth grade in Manhattan Beach, California. And I have shared some of my stories with you guys, but uh, just to briefly put it, I used to hate math. I cried every night. My mom laughs that I have this job. She can't believe it. She's still like, how are you a math coach? Um, but my passion in life has become helping kids with math and helping math make sense to kids. And I learned how to do that for myself with the power of number talks. I'm Mike Muhammad. I've been in uh, secondary education science for the last 19 years. 14 of those last years was in Brookfield, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Milwaukee, teaching biology, chemistry, and now mostly physics. Um, started learning more about how to personalize instruction for learners about five years ago through Jim Rickabaugh and the Institute for Personalized Learning and I've really just enjoyed the ability to let students actually realize that science is fun more than just facts. I'm Andy Espinoza. I am also from Brookfield, uh, Wisconsin, and I'm actually a special education teacher. And in addition to being a special ed teacher in my building, I also support the biology teachers. Um, and then Mike and I uh, co-teach together uh, physics. So half my year is spent in the physics classroom. The other half is in biology because we are on a block schedule. And one thing that really gets me excited about personalized learning is that there are so many entry points for students with disabilities. And there's so many ways to make their education more meaningful for them and really address the, the vocational goals that we have for them, uh, all within the context of a classroom, or vocational and academic goals for them in a classroom. And it just, it makes sense. And I think that their education is far more meaningful as a result of it. I'm Kate Somerville. I am currently a professional development specialist with the Institute for Personalized Learning. I've been in that role for about two years, but prior to that I taught for 17 years um, in the same school district as Mike and Andy. Um, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, taught in Brookfield, Wisconsin for a long time, and now my office is actually um, in Pewaukee, Wisconsin, which is, these are all suburbs outside of the city. And for me, I think my, my sort of journey towards learner-centered practice or personalized learning um, has really come full circle. I was a classroom teacher partnering with the Institute, similar to Mike, um, and then was given the opportunity to become a PD specialist and support educators like yourself in the field. So for me, it's been very humbling um, and very exciting. And I think when this morning I talked about um, helping others find their why or their passion. And I think for me, it was helping kiddos and myself realize that um, in the classroom, we often want to engage our learners and that we really need to move beyond just engaging kids for 180 days and, and really helping them empower themselves to live whatever life they're going to live. So thanks for being here. Ask yeah, away. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I'll 
be super brief, but Andrew Easton, because I know we have some people from out of district, uh, and I have a chance to be first as learning collaborator uh, here within Westside, and so that means I get to meet with teachers before school, after school, plant periods, um, really just kind of throughout the day, and we design uh, ways to implement personalized practices into whatever they're doing, and so it's just been really uh, rewarding and eye-opening in a lot of like regards to, uh, to really see the different ways that we can kind of take what we're already doing and sort of add these personalized elements to it to make it a more learner-centered experience. And so, uh, do we have any questions to kind of start us out here today? Andrew, can I throw one thing out there? Yes, So, I see some of you are starting to follow us on Twitter. My arm is buzzing and that's amazing. If you um, aren't on Twitter, get yourself on Twitter now. If you are on Twitter, open it up and follow all of us. You need to realize that we are a network almost by accident. You know, Andrew stumbled upon our convening conference. Michael, I learned about, I mean, it's very rare that a fourth grade teacher and a high school AP <laughs> physics teacher would ever collaborate across the district, but we've done that. And so please know that we want to collaborate and network with you. Um, so get out there on Twitter and find us because you can be our friends. <laughs> that, that's a good Shameless note to start club, on. Right? Really. I, uh, the education community is just so great when you start to just open yourself up to being able to have these conversations, right? And to sure. just branch out. And uh, there are so many people in the building today that I'm sure you don't know, right? And it's easy to stay within your little pocket of people. But if you can kind of uh, introduce yourself to somebody new you don't know, who you'll be sitting on a panel with a couple of years later. So um, that's certainly been the case with all of us. But uh, yeah, so what, what questions um, can we kind of start with here? And this can be super specific or something just kind of in general, but after your keynote your session today? Yeah. Yeah, if you were at the beginning of this personalized learning journey, where would you start? It sounds like a question <laughs> for you. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to curb my tongue. So, um, I guess for me, um, Building relationships with kids, um, developing a culture uh, of community within your classroom. I think that so often we want to jump in as classroom teachers. We want to know how to do this, how to do this, how to do this. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And anyone that's done the work of learner-centered practice will tell you there is no one-size-fits-all. Um, what works with one learner is never going to work with another. But I would, um, going off of what Mark mentioned this morning in the keynote is really getting to know your learners, but more importantly, in my opinion, it's getting learn, helping learners understand who they are um, so that they can advocate for themselves and they can hear their voice and they can use that voice. Um, so I would say, you know, team building, collab looking for collaborative opportunities, building a, a classroom culture around just learning, not teaching. We have to step outside of this role of teacher and just like, make learning the currency. And when you say learn who they are, that's kind of a really big conversation. It's really hard for kids to answer that so question. So like, what are some of the things you would say, just kind of to the panel, um, yeah, like make up that, what they need, what we would like students to start to learn about themselves as a result of being in a personalized experience? No? Go on. <laughs> Simple questions, really. Just <laughs> real shallow stuff. Um, and I actually spoke about this at my session earlier this morning uh, about learner profiles, and one specifically called Me as a Learner. It's by Barbara Bray. And it's a simple checklist that students can go through, and it uses language that they understand, and they are honest with themselves. Um, that's been my experience. But I think that, you know, much like what Kate said, that you build a culture of collaboration and community, and that it's your classroom becomes a safe place to fail. And kids understand that learning sometimes doesn't mean that you're successful at whatever it is that you're trying to do. But 
they also need to learn who they are as a learner and being able to articulate that. And so going through that process isn't as much about them or us learning about them as it is about them learning about themselves. I'd like to tag on to that in math too. Um, one of the important things to address is the need for speed. <laughs> um, parents and some teachers even feel the pressure to have everything be very speedy and that is certainly not the case. Most mathematicians think methodically and slowly through problems and um, one of the things that kids really feel like they don't have is the advocacy for themselves to say, wait, I'm still thinking. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing that I really try to teach kids. As a learner, you need to say to somebody, if you're still thinking, I just need a, another moment. I'm still thinking about this. And then that's okay as a learner to not be able to process as fastly as maybe your uh, neighbor next door. Yeah. Uh, just building on the me as a learner, because it's something we use in the class, the document, it's it's hard for students to really come out of nowhere to describe themselves as opposed to a tool to interrogate themselves in terms of the language that they can think of. So when you ask the student, what are your strengths, it's hard to speak extemporaneously about it unless you're being asked questions about it, unless you really have a framework to ask yourself questions. And then they can start identifying strengths and challenges and then as a teacher providing those opportunities for them to express themselves using those strengths but also finding a place where they can challenge themselves at those obstacles in a place that's free of failure where to take that risk to take that challenge to express yourself in a different way or overcome something or experiment with improving on something without it being attached to a grade where there's some freedom in that where it is truly something that's personal for them to grow. And I, that's something that I just have really, in my role, of kind of just experienced more and more as we're talking with teachers is that it's tough sometimes to want to give over the, the flexibility and the freedom to allow learners to find that stuff out for themselves. Uh, there was a keynote that I got to go listen to with uh, Matt Miller where he, he talked about how safe it is for us as teachers when yeah, if, if for 40 minutes worth the time, we stand in the front and talk for 20 minutes, and if we have good classroom management, everybody will sit still and behave and listen, and it'll be just, we're learning. <laughs> and then we'll get to an activity where I have all the answers, and there's one way to get that done, and I will not feel the question that I can't handle. And maybe I have three minutes at the end where I have to watch everybody <laughs> and make sure that they're all, you know, just not too rowdy at the end of class and move on to the next thing. And gosh, that feels really, I mean, I've done it, so I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, say anything about that. But it's so safe for us, and it is then... Um, worth acknowledging that it is difficult sometimes to give those things over because uh, without the opportunity for choice, um, there's not really an opportunity for ownership. And, and so I think that's a big part of starting out too, is just being willing to, um, and it doesn't mean that you have to just let everything <laughs> like just be a free-for-all from day one. Scaffolding is always important with these things. But starting out, uh, I think that that is a, a mental hurdle sometimes that people have to at least um, be aware of that, they, that they're going to have to make those concessions a little bit and, and trust. And that's where that relationship piece, I think, comes in so much that Kate's talking about, too. I, I want to say as well, um, because I know teachers want to help, like, how do we do this? How do I do this tomorrow? And one of the things I think that was helpful for, for me and, and things that I talk to teachers now a lot about is think about your content that you teach. You know, I taught fourth and fifth grade math. I could spew off those math standards, those ELA standards left and right. Um, we're very intentional about our standards. We post them on our board. We want our kiddos to be able to, you know, tell us what standards they're working on. 
But in personalized learning, we're really developing people or the person. And that person is developed well beyond math standards or reading standards or science, social studies standards. We're developing these skills that are going to make them successful in no matter what they do in this society. And so how can you create learning experiences within your classroom that not only intentionally teach standards, but also teach those essential skills, collaboration, creativity, critical thinking, whatever those things are, empathy. You know, I, I sit down with my own kids, you know, parents or teachers at parent-teacher conferences and they tell me Cole needs to work on his facts. I have 15 examples for how Cole can work on his subtraction facts, but I also know Cole needs to be more empathetic. Cole needs to take initiative. So how are we as classroom teachers intentionally developing those skills in our learners because that's what they need long beyond their states and capitals. So I'm just going to throw that out there. Please do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, and I would say on that same note of just in working with teachers too, where do we start? Uh, it is the, just that choice. Um, how do we start to saturate the learning experience with choice and as many, again, opportunities for ownership as possible, um, but then not being a Choice itself is not personalized learning. Uh, and I think that sometimes, it, though it is, I feel like in many ways, like a gateway to get th getting things started, that agency piece kind of sits on the other side of that. Um, but if we just get to where, oh, just do whatever you want, or you can pick whatever you want, and there's not any like revision and collaboration discussion about revising that towards making you your optimum learner, then uh, I, I think that that's still, that is the place to grow. Uh, if you find yourself just sort of implementing choice and feeling like, well, where did this work? Maybe potentially go next as you get started. Any more? Want to take another He's question? got one. Sweet. Uh, within that topic of choice, um, talking about uh, student products, demonstrations of learning, um, how have you found grading to work with that? Because it's not a standard rubric that fits every student project, uh, given a variety of ways that we would encourage students to turn things in. Uh, what are some tips and tricks you have to get towards that? Well, I, you know, I think at the heart of it is there needs to be a communication of something. So at some point for the standard, those multiple means still need to be able to fit into a demonstration of understanding. The bells and whistles that come beyond that are a little bit different, and they may apply to different products, maybe a different skill that you address. And when we, I've uh, been in a couple of sessions where people are saying students should be picking multiple means of expression throughout the course of the year. So don't always do an iMovie, don't always do this. And that's where you can build in those other components. But at the heart of it, um, when you're communicating um, content knowledge underneath the standard, um, that may be the same, but the skills that may tie into a different piece of content can maybe hit across different ones. So be a bit building a framework where, okay, I want you to hit all of these expression skills by the end of the year. Um, you may be not hitting them all at the same time. You may eventually do these, by doing these four different products, you were eventually going to reach all of them, but the content piece may be specific to that. So it's kind of like a melding of the two. I think um, I've used where ultimately I'll, I'll outline for learners standards they specifically, I specifically want them to cover, whether those are science standards or math standards or speaking and listening standards. Um, how they go about that doesn't matter. So if you create a puppet show, I'm not necessarily grading your puppet show. Your, your puppet show could be horrible. But, um, and I've had a lot of them, right? But, um, no, no, Tasia's puppet show is amazing, actually. But, you know, there's some really bad 
products that come out of it. Um, but ultimately, we wanted them to hit specific standards. Um, another thing to consider, too, is the development of learning progressions. You know, and so, because that's what oftentimes happened, and I, I think back to math a lot, is that, you know, we pre-assess learners and we, we realize that we have kids on this end of the spectrum and kids on this end of the spectrum, and we are constantly juggling where they go, but at what point can we allow learners to start to self-monitor themselves, you know, and so to start creating, you know, a learning progression K3 or 3-5 or 5-8, 5-9, so that they can see what comes before them, this standard, what comes after that standard, and, and start to um, dive a little bit deeper there. And that way, the end product isn't what's most important. It's the learning of that given standard. So What you're saying, um, kind of giving kids ownership, um, one of the things that our PLC team learned was to always put the standard above the question on an assessment for anybody fourth grade and up. And so we immediately started doing that. And so at the end, when they got their assessment back, they had a sheet to fill out that was that said, I'm still learning this standard or I understand this standard. And then they could kind of see how they did. And then they were offered a retake assessment based on what they needed to still work on. So they were kind of measuring themselves in their own area of understanding standards. This is not on your subject or question, but going off of assessments, if you utilize pre-assessments in your classroom in any way, shape, or form, I know this seems silly, but consider actually teaching your learners how to take a pre-assessment and what the purpose of a pre-assessment is because I, I learned the hard way that kids don't know what what this tool is and why why I was using it. Uh, that was my biggest mistake is that I was using it, they weren't using it to drive their learning. Um, and so I, maybe none of the kids in Omaha do this, but the kids in Brookfield did, with, they would write IDK at the top and then draw an arrow mm -hmm. straight down. Um, except for like the two kids that are super smart and they wanna do everything perfect to please the teacher. And so my Collins would like take hours to take the pre-assessment um, and then I would alter you know, his pathway based on that. Um, but what it boiled down to is kids didn't even know what this tool was being used for, how to take it, how the fact that I'm not really looking for one right answer, I'm looking for a process over the end product. And so um, teaching my kiddos what is a pre-assessment and why I, you know, give them is eye-opening for me. Uh, I'm going to add one the last thing too. I like the idea of um, holding conversations about the rubric for project products like that, right? And so, I don't know how are we going to grade this? Everybody sort of looks at each other, right? And then, well, um, it probably should have this, right? If this is what we're working on, and that those conversations on the front end, I, I think make for better end products because now, I mean, I'm just going to speak personally. Like whenever I was in school, a rubric for me was the thing that I got marks on that I didn't read until I got <laughs> got it back. Right. Uh, and when it's a collaborative conversation up front, now you're starting to like think about what makes for something that it is of a certain quality and that there are these other elements that need to be in there. Uh, and so I think having any sort of dialogue around that and the investment that comes from them saying, hey, th this is what we should be held to, I think is, again, gets the just further, further ownership. And sometimes they'll set expectations that are beyond, which, beyond what you would give them, which is really cool. Uh, or um, you can steer the conversation to make sure that it incorporates whatever it is that you would ultimately like to see. So I like that piece too. Yeah. Even more than the end product, um, helping them realize that you want to document evidence of learning across all the way through the process. You know, I'm not, 
I, I always think about like the, um, you know, the little trifold brochure, you know, trifold brochure or the trifold. It's not about that. You know, that's, that's a showcase item, but what learning did you, you know, take along the way? Um, Andy McNair was in here before, and if you sat in on her session, she shared this reflection QR code, which we could tweet out. It, that's amazing, and I wish I was still in the classroom to use that. I will share that with teachers galore. Um, every time you scan the QR code, there's a new reflective question. So just helping learners become more reflective. I think we ask that of them, but they don't know how to do that. And that QR code just pushes out a question every time they scan it um, to get them to just think differently about the learning process. Well, I'll build off the assessment one. I think that we live in a great world where digital feedback is incredible. So the idea that um, that these assessments are almost in draft state when they submit it, you know, I can grade you on this rubric and provide you feedback in the form of questions and we can do it digitally and then you can look it over and we can have a conversation physically and then revise and resubmit and that sometimes for some of our learners who are I hate, in our district we're very grade centric so for those students that little bit of okay we have to have this conversation then it becomes more meaningful to see where you're going as opposed to just a bunch of marks on the paper before I see that letter on the top or that percentage score, that that's how we kind of report out. We had to do a lot of training of parents around scoring, grading, right? Because I think, and I'm guilty of it as a parent myself, um, you know, we get a paper back in the take-home folder and our eyes instantly go to the PR at the top or the plus sign at the top or the DV or the beginning or whatever it is, the, the C or the A. And so I, we, we trained our, our learners to be able to train their parents to say, yeah, but mom, you know, I'm proficient, but that doesn't mean I'm perfect. This is, this is where Mrs. Somerville gave me feedback, or this is where Mrs. Patterson gave us feedback. And so helping kiddos see that all the feedback that we provide for them, either in a comment or in, you know, a side note, that's what's really being used to drive the next learning. Um, and that it's not done. We'd always say, well, if you're done, you've only just begun because there's another place, there's an, another step for you to move forward. So. Okay, I have a question. I think I kind of know that there's not really a good answer for it, but. Um, <laughs> Thank you for making mention of that. Now we're all nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, That's fine. So, for, for those of us who do see the value of reflection, like you were just discussing of a, a couple previous answers, how important it is for students to like reflect on their learning process, even more importantly than that the grade. How do you handle that when you're trying to encourage that to, to teammates and colleagues who don't see the value in that and want to create different assessments that are more content driven rather than reflection driven? Like who don't think you should be grading kids on their reflection as an assessment? I don't think there's a good answer well, to that. Well, I think there is. Advice. I think I think the educators that sometimes struggle with that um, don't always realize that there's a variety of assessment options. So when you think about assessment, you have to think of assessment as learning, assessment of learning, assessment for learning. And that um, I think sometimes we're just... I, I don't like to use the term ignorant, but sometimes we just don't know that because it's not how we were taught, right? 
um, that there's a different types of assessment opportunities. And it's not to say that those summative assessments are bad. There's a purpose for them and they're necessary, but that there's also other opportunities and other options for assessing that it, there needs to be a balance there. And I think that too many classrooms don't have that triangle balance primarily because they don't even realize. I, I was guilty of it myself. I didn't realize that a brainstorming session on a, you know, a little, what do you call those map things, mind maps, could be an assessment. That could be an assessment option. A KWL chart can be an assessment option. And so um, helping, I think, just educate and help them see the, you know, the difference between assessment of learning for learning as learning. One of, uh, one of the things that I love to say that I learned at a PLC is get naked with the data. So, wow. uh, yeah, right? It's exciting, huh? <laughs> I was excited. Um, sorry about that. I don't know. That's what uh, I was in Cali. Anyway, so we got naked with our data, and we did have exactly what she was saying. We had one teacher who was trying to create, well, he wasn't trying. He was creating his own assessments, and he didn't want to have anything to do with the assessments that had the standard and the reflection. And so we're actually in that boat right now. And so one of the things that we did was we had to move toward admin and, and say we need to have a common assessment. It has to be a district initiative. And so that happened. And then also um, just the PLC work of sitting and looking at your data and having your data out there for other people to see. Um, helps people start reflecting and if their data is showing that their kids aren't doing as well then they start asking like well what are you doing um, and then you can start sharing I know it doesn't it's not a perfect solution to the problem but um, it has piqued some interest in our middle school teachers who are in that boat right now I, I don't know if you use ASW tools or like analyzing student work tools um, but one, we, I had a team, I, was, I worked on a team of six teachers. My teaching partner and I were working in a, in a learner-centered environment. The others, not necessarily. Dabbling with some practices, some, um, as Mike always jokes with me, some of my teammates did not want to drink my Kool-Aid in any way, shape, or form. Um, I joked the cocktails couldn't even be out on the table during our PLC. Like, they didn't want my, my beverage of choice. But um, when we would, we would meet together as a PLC to analyze student work, and sometimes we weren't analyzing common assessments, but we were analyzing assessments that were all covering the same standards. Um, and some of my colleagues could see that based on assessments that we were utilizing and looking at, um, we were getting more information and more knowledge about the learning taking place than on other assessments. Um, so that was sort of my passive aggressive way of, you know, just opening eyes to other, other tools out there. And one, one thing that I've done in terms of uh, looking at in terms of a science content or just basically looking at your standards and looking at if they're being rewritten, looking at some of the verbiage and state standards and in terms of our uh, next generation science standards, finding in them verbs that tie to habits of mind, mm -hmm. things like revise, interpret, um, some things that you could actually tie to these dispositions or soft skills or whatever you want to call them that you can actually frame and see these are part of our standards. It's not just this content piece, the verbiage that they're using actually ties into this process piece that students have to go through. I think it helps find an entry point too because some teachers aren't, aren't ready to um, co-design or give up what, the what they're learning, right? But maybe they're ready to co-design how they're going to learn it 
or how they're going to demonstrate their learning. You know, I remember like, no, I'm not ready for every kid to be learning something different. And that's terrifying. I'm not suggesting you do that. Um, but maybe you could um, start to open up the choices around how or um, how they're learning it or how they're demonstrating their learning. Or maybe utilizing Genius Hour. We were just talking about with Andy about um, Genius Hour. That That's sort of an entry point for not only the how they're going to learn it, how they're going to demonstrate their learning, but also the what they're going to learn uh, aligned to their, their strengths or their passions. So, And there you have it. That wraps up part one of our expert panel from the Westside Personalized Summit that we held in May. I'm excited that that was the first podcast of this 2019-2020 school year. Expect part two of that conversation to come out next week. So look forward to hearing more from us then. Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.